Welcome to the New England Take on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead, nhtalkradio.com. To get the back episodes of the show, follow New England Take on Facebook, where we're posting all the videos of our interviews. And follow me on Twitter. You'll see me get a little more political on Twitter. Just avoid Twitter. Just stay on Facebook. It's it's not great for everything, but it's under, it's a little more PC if you want to follow the show. <laughs> Excited in this episode to be joined by two repeat guests, uh, uh, Professor Leah Plunkett from Harvard Law School and Michael Lewis, her husband actually, is a husband-wife couple uh, guests on the show today. He's an attorney over at Rath Young and Pignatelli, and Rath Law is actually a sponsor of WKXL. We're very happy to have them partnered with the station. Welcome both to you to the show. Thank you, AJ. Uh, Wonderful to be here. So I I happened to see on LinkedIn one day that you two actually co-authored a law review uh, article in the Pepperdine Law Review called The Wages of Crying Life, What States Must Do to Protect Children After the Fall of Roe. And I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. I think this a lot of the things you're proposing in this make a lot of sense. Uh, there's been this on social media because I just live in political Twitter and such, as I basically just mentioned. Is there there's this gotcha that people on the left try to throw at people on the right that you're not offering protections for children if it, but you're pushing on a back on abortion as in the way that they are, uh, especially in Texas and such, where it's very restrictive with the laws. And the more thoughtful conservatives say, yeah, let's do that too. But it doesn't necessarily make it through to, to the actual political realm. I, I mean, is that kind of the basis for what, what you're proposing in this article? I think that the basis of what we're proposing in this article, as, as you say, AJ, is a common sense rationality and reasonableness. And so the law at minimum needs to be reasonable or rational. We should not have irrational government action. And what we're looking at in this article is at this point, now that Roe has fallen and we are in the new era of Dobbs, we are taking, as you say, a, a dispassionate in this piece, a political look. I know you and I have talked politics other times, but you're absolutely right. We're writing, uh, Mike and I have written this piece in a political uh, academic lens. We're saying that it really no longer is rational in this country under our current federal constitutional law regime for a state to both restrict access to abortion while not also taking basic steps to protect the lives, health, and well-being of children. That just completely irrational to say that on the one hand, there is a reduction or a restriction or an elimination of a formally recognized right to a certain type of health care while not continuing on in terms of state action, be it legislation, regulation, or other forms of policy to say, once we move from the realm of quote unquote unborn life to born life, aka kids, we're not doing anything. So we are asking for baseline reasonableness and rationality for state action, such that if a state is moving to reduce or eliminate access to abortion, they are also taking steps to baseline protect the lives and health and well-being of kids. And this would be great to have you, Michael, jump in. And we we talked about it previously when you talked about the youth, this new youth development center uh, cases and everything around that. I, I mean, what are some failures that you're seeing in New Hampshire that more thoughtful legislation around this would be very productive? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the great aspects of our combined perspective on this is both of us have spent a lot of time thinking about the interests of children. So Leah, in you know, when we first moved here, I started as a homicide prosecutor at the New Hampshire Attorney General's office. Some of my cases involved violence against children or children who witnessed extreme violence or children who were victims by virtue of surviving violence, you know, inner, inner spouse type situations. And Leah opened the Youth Law Project in New Hampshire Legal Assistance, which was a first of its kind civil legal services program for poverty, for kids in poverty. And so very quickly, you know, we and I, she and I, you know, I think sort of separately, but but also, you know, you know, uh, as a matter of, uh, you know, being two professionals in New Hampshire, began to observe many shortfalls in, in New Hampshire um, in regard to how it was protecting kids. Uh, but I don't think either of us knew just how acute um, these shortfalls were until maybe five or six years ago when um, an audit came out that had been solicited by uh, Governor Hassan that, you know, that responded to child deaths in New Hampshire and acknowledged system-wide failures in terms of responding to known or noticed child abuse and neglect in New Hampshire. And in New Hampshire, we have um, a mandatory system of response and reporting. So anyone um, who becomes aware of child abuse and neglect uh, is required to report it to the New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services. And New Hampshire uh, Department of Health and Human Services uh, has to respond, and it has to respond within very short time frames to intervene and protect children, Child children's welfare being the principal concern. And now we've gone, you know, we're in 2022, 2023, and we have, um, you know, continued failures uh, in our systems of response, notwithstanding the results of audits. We have not just that, but news that um, that one system of response, which was the establishment of the Office of Child Advocate, um, was frustrated in its ability to provide um, oversight and uh, forensic evaluation because of non-cooperation by the governor and by the Commissioner of Health and Human Services, which is shocking. Um, and to, to boot, children who are directly in the physical custody of the state at the youth detention center, um, you know, have been national news, uh, you know, because of the establishment of the $100 million uh, funds to deal with um, acknowledged child abuse by state officials against children. And so when you look at this record and you think, um, okay, like, uh, what do we, what do we draw across domains um, in New Hampshire and beyond? because this is not a New Hampshire unique situation, although there's some acute aspects of this in New Hampshire. Um, you know, you, you start to see a pattern of, of states really degrading their valuation of the lives of, the, of children, and particularly children who the state has said by law, you know, it will intervene on behalf of um, in order to protect. And that, um, you know, when you couple that with claims uh, by um, state officials to um, you know, to the extreme high level evaluation of human life, such that it would interfere with you know baseline autonomy and self control uh, rights that you know that women should have um, in in the domain of abortion. Uh, you know, it calls out for demand for principal follow through. There's also just the practical problem, and this is being acknowledged, you know, uh, by um, by conservative. Uh, politicians like Mitt Romney 
Um, recently, it was acknowledged by Asa Hutchinson, who's the uh, Republican governor in Arkansas, that um, that you know, as a result of abortion bans, uh, there will be more children born, and just as a matter of statistics, more children born places greater burdens on states, especially states that have mandatory response systems, and it just becomes extremely irrational for states to add to the population through abortion bans and then not to protect the populations that it's committed to protect by law. And that's sort of that's where that's where our article is is focused. Now, Leah, I mean, to me, just to be meme ready, essentially, my, my lizard brain just wants to yell based and things like that as I hear many of these concepts, because this seems like a no brainer for liberals in in government to say, hey, let's support families because, hey, this is you want to support the family. You want to be able to put that emphasis on it. Um, but but it seems like there's I mean, this is I mean, this is what I see as a problem with the Democrats right now is they're so focused on on just the hashtag resist model a little bit too much to really realize to move past what the current system is, especially in New Hampshire, where we have laws where, in my opinion, we have a fairly decent setup when it comes to abortion restrictions, where it's just a late term uh, restriction. You guys may not necessarily agree with me on that. I don't think it really matters for, for the response to this question. But like, why? Why aren't the Democrats focusing on this specifically, that narrative? Because that narrative is not what's being used. I think, AJ, that the Democrats and Republicans alike in New Hampshire and beyond have, a, well, I'll back up and say Democrats and Republicans alike in New Hampshire and beyond do have a lot of room to find common ground on protecting kids. I, you know, not, not, not to get too into politics. I, I do think the Democrats in New Hampshire have been very, very strong, much stronger than the Republicans here when it comes to putting forward proposals to protect working families and vulnerable kids. So I, you know, I, I, I'm doing the the annoying law professor thing of pushing back a little bit on the premise of the question, yeah, totally. but fundamentally, <laughs> but fundamentally agreeing with you that as we look ahead, to political cooperation in New Hampshire and beyond in the post Roe now current Dobbs era, I do think there's a lot of room for folks to find common ground around whether you're cheering in the streets because Roe fell or you're sobbing in the streets because Roe fell. We are going to have more children born and more children born means that all states, particularly those states that have put abortion restrictions in place of any variety, and even those states that haven't, because guess what? Families move. We have constitutionally protected rights to travel in this country. So all of us uh, at the federal level and across state lines need to be thinking about how we do right by kids. And I do think that means every single one of us, whether we are elected officials or voters or just folks in neighborhoods needs to be really focused right now on baseline protections for children. And to underscore what Mike said, we're making quite a modest proposal in our article. We are actually focusing on children that states such as New Hampshire, but all states have already committed to protecting namely kids who are facing abuse and neglect and should be entitled under existing laws to protections for their fundamental life and 
well-being. And I, I think one thought experiment that I raise in the article, and I will raise it here for you and your listeners, I think it helps to underscore just how irrational it is for a state that restricts abortion in the name of protecting unborn life to then not even follow through on the baseline protections it already affords for born lives, aka kids. So it's the following thought experiment. You, know, you and I have talked tech before, right, AJ? So <laughs> let's let's fast forward in our imaginations and say five years from now, we come up with a technology that somehow allows men to conceive and carry and somehow birth a a born life, a, a an infant. We can maybe have another episode on what that technology might look like, but for the sake of my law professor hypothetical, let's just say that men can now be some sort of incubation squad. And a state says, gosh, we're, we're really interested in protecting unborn life all we can. Roe is gone, we're under Dobbs, we're all about unborn life. So we are going to pass a state law that says all men who are known to be or suspected to be having sex with women capable of procreation need to register for a breeding selective service. And at random, your name will be drawn out of a hat and the state will give you an incubation kit and you won't have a choice about whether or not to take it. If it causes you economic hardship, physical hardship, doesn't matter, you have to take it. And at the end of nine months, the state will then, and here's where the thought experiment trails off, it would be completely irrational for the state to say, you know, and then we are just going to let this newborn life just kind of like sit by the side of the road. Clearly, that's that wouldn't be rational. And, and what I'm where I'm going with this is that you can probably see pretty easily is that the state is effectively saying that now to women, which is that you, once you have had sex, whether consensually or not, with a man and you have become pregnant, you are part of this kind of incubation and, and breeding service. And so I, what we're saying is, gosh, if, if the state is stepping in to really essentially require this, right? If you have sex and become pregnant as a result of having sex, then it it really flies in the face of rationality for the state to then let that newly born life um, not even have the basic protection the state has already committed to giving. So does that does that thought experiment resonate at, at all? Yes, definitely it does. It, 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 <laughs> and I, I, I have some very strong ethical uh, discussion, things swirling my head that I don't have time to get into right now. But That's yeah, to I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, even from just a more traditional conservative uh, ethical standpoint it, it makes no sense why this isn't supported i think partially at least when you're talking new hampshire we have this this confusing a problem when it comes to the right side of the aisle where we have the very strong independent liberty minded crew the libertarians and such that are integrated with the republicans that are also very conservative and may in theory be on it but then you got to figure out the party platform it gets so confusing uh but we got a couple minutes left here i want to i want to get into specifically how does go to you michael i mean do we have the the bones in place to fix the system like like are are the mechanisms there in some way that you think could be fixed or is like does this come down to money does it come down to staff yeah. does it come down new structures need to be put in place oh look i think i think that at least with regard to child abuse and neglect like the you know we have 
many indicators of um, of basic necessary but not sufficient steps that the state must take um, to to you know to protect children that include obvious um, labor market responses to an, our inflationary economy with a competitive national and moving labor force. Um, if you want good people you, um, and you want enough people, you have to pay them more. And you know, in in regard to complex situations like child abuse and neglect, which which require mandated state responses, you're going to have to compete across the country to get people, and you're going to have to pay more here in New Hampshire because um, because the problems are so substantial and the job is so difficult. And we know the job is difficult because there's such immense turnover and has been for a long time with regard to child protective service workers. So, you know, you just got to get real about you know, the cost of public services. Cass Sunstein um, has written a book. Uh, he's a professor at Harvard called The Cost of Rights. And in some ways, it's a play on Hannah Arendt's um, book, The Right to, or essay, The Right to Have Rights. That is to say, rights aren't self-executing, um, you know, and protections aren't self-executing. You have to invest in order to have them um, and in order for them to have meaning. And, and you know, and, and children have rights and they're particularly vulnerable because, um, they don't have the ability to advocate for them effectively as voters or as people hold all, hold office. All their positions are are spoken for derivatively through adults. And one of the things I want to say in response to you know the the comment about the Democrats and Republicans is, um, you know, I, I I would lump everybody into the same category of adults with substantial uh, blind spots when it comes to kids. And um, and I and I've seen these blind spots shared across the aisle by Democrats and Republicans. And I've seen enormous amounts of sympathy from Democrats and Republicans as well. But what is what is true is that um, we have an incredible and self-serving, you know, series of blind spots. And, um, you know, as adults and, uh, you know, and, and I think that that is reflected in our failed responses here. And whenever we br I bring up these these problems, A.J., with other adults, including people I work with, there is just a level of shock at what at what is happening in the state. And, you know, I mean, the then I provide them with materials and no one disputes the the record here. Um, there just is an engagement. And, you know, and, and so when we think about sol solving problems, we think about what do people want, right? And some people want abortion bans. And so, you know, we want to an abortion ban, which neither of us agree is good policy. Um, we, we at least want to be able to impose a cost that imposes rationality, a low level cost that has a social that has a, a positive social outcome that you know centers around agreed upon commitments that we think people are ignoring because they have a blind spot. And that really is uh, the thrust of the article. Um, you know, we want, I know you're, you're, you want to wrap up, but I mean, one of the important things is we have multiple stakeholders in mind in terms of accomplishing this, you know, medical societies, legislatures, and, and, lit, and litigants in court. And we hope people will read our article um, because, you know, we want to build agreement uh, and we want it to be the beginning of a discussion about this, uh, these important issues which we believe are, are related. I hope I'm not talking on a line, Leah. <laughs> no, you're you're right in line. And I actually don't want to wrap up. I love talking with you, of course, and I love talking with AJ, but either ironically or fittingly, I have to go pick up our daughter from the bus. Exactly. <laughs> AJ, exactly. thank you so much for having us. It's such
Such a pleasure. Great yeah, to thank, see you again. Thank you so much. It's great <laughs> seeing both of you. It's uh, Michael Lewis of Rathium and Pignatelli and Professor Leah Plunkett of Harvard Law School talking about their law review article, The Wages of Crying Life, What States Must Do to Protect Children After the Fall of Roe. I'm going to put it in the episode description if you haven't. It suggests you give it a read. It's it, Yes, it's a law review article, but it's very understandable, and I was actually able to understand it. I made it through three quarters of it and totally understood the basis of what they're going for. So definitely check it out if you're a lawmaker. This is the New England Take and WKXL. We'll be right back after this. Thanks.